to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word is the answer to everything that we face. I love your word, Lord. The entrance of your word brings light and understanding. And my prayer for everyone here today, that you'd give them ears, not just to hear, but ears that enable them to take this message and make it a part of the way they live, that it changes the way they respond, the choices they make. Lord, I pray today by the power of your spirit, come and minister the love and the life of Jesus to every person. We love you, Jesus. We will always love you. You've been so good to us. And I'm praying today that your love and your wisdom would flow in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Got Hebrews 3 verse 7. Yes. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, if you will hear his voice, God's speaking today. Are you listening? God's speaking to you, not someone next to you, but God is, this message is for every person today. Please don't check out and say, well, I've got nothing wrong with my heart. You're, you're the prime candidate today. God's speaking, right? Do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your father's testament, so it's in your blood. It's in your DNA, isn't it? Your fathers did it. So this is, this is the propensity of man and woman to do this. They tested me and tried me. They saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray or that word means to wander. Their hearts keep wandering from me. They do not know my ways. I want to know the ways of God. I want to know in the midst of trials and pain and, and I want to know what God is doing in the midst of that. And the easy way out is just to allow my heart to wander, to be confused and say, I don't get what you're doing, so I'm just going to check out of this thing and turn my heart to something else to satisfy me. Has anyone, anyone ever done that? In the midst of confusion, I don't know what you're doing, God, so I'm just going to take my heart and plonk it in front of the TV for a few days. No one ever does that. All right, I'm just going to check out and start drinking, pornos, working hard, whatever it is, we laugh, but that's what we do. I know we're laughing because it's sometimes embarrassment because he's speaking about what I'm doing. But it's in our hearts that when, when we get confused with God, our hearts check out. They begin to wander to another source of life. Right? So don't get all religious on me now, okay? Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. There is a propensity in every person to wander from God in our hearts. Okay. But exhort one another while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not 
harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Let me tell you that a hard heart, unbelieving heart, is the root of all sin. Everything comes out of that. Now I want you now to turn with me to Psalm 78 because it continues the story of what we've just read in Hebrews 3. And then I'm going to give you some tools today. Psalm 20, 78, God speaking to the Israelites, reminding them of how he's been faithful to them. He says, don't you remember, I've been with you all through this journey, I've been faithful. And I want you to teach that to your children about how faithful, because unless, unless you remember about and feel about the past, unless you get that right, your future's never going to work out. You've got you've to get in your head how faithful I have been. I want you to get this into your head, but also into your heart. And he says in Psalm 78 verse 6, that the generation to come may know him, that the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. See, if I don't get my heart right about what's happened in the past, it's going to affect my future, my children. Not just my physical children, but my future. And he's saying here, if you don't get everything right that's happened in your past, if you don't have a right understanding, not just intellectually, but emotionally, it's going to affect your future. He says, verse 7, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And may not be like their fathers who were stubborn and rebellious, a generation that did not set their hearts aright. And their spirits were not faithful to God. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows, they turned back in the day of battle. My friend, if your heart's damaged, when you get the opportunity to take the enemy out in the future, even when it's simple, you're going to back down. A wounded heart will cause you to question God in your future battles. Are you hearing me? It's so important because the enemy will re remind you of unresolved issues of the heart and it will sabotage your future. Are you hearing this? Yeah. Verse 12 then begins to list all the great things that God did for the people. You read this psalm, it's amazing. Miracles, signs and wonders. Psalm 78 is listing how great and faithful God was. I, I don't know about you, but... If you had a God that parted the Red Sea and brought down manna and opened up rocks, and if your story was lit with miracles, and then God said about you, you've got an unbelieving, wandering heart, you think, where, where, what, what's the disconnection here? It says, verse 18, they tested God in their heart. So God's been so good to them, so faithful, and yet their heart still out of kilter with him. Verse 22, they didn't believe in God. The same chapter, verse 32, in spite of all that God did, they still sinned and they did not believe in his wondrous works. Verse 33, the days were consumed in futility and the years in fear. Verse 40, they provoked him in the wilderness. They grieved him in the desert. Verse 41, Again and again, they tempted God and they limited him. Verse 42, are you getting depressed yet? It says, they did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. Why did they not respond and remember the works of God throughout the wilderness? What is going on here? 
Why can God do so many miracles in the wilderness, yet it doesn't seem to change the way they respond to God? I read that and I thought, what's wrong with these people? Miracle after miracle after miracle in the wilderness, and yet God says, you don't understand my ways, your hearts are far from me, you don't trust me. I'm thinking, why? Do you ever read the Bible and ask why? What's going on? Why are their hearts so hard and unbelieving? And this is what I came up with. I believe the Lord showed me. I believe that Israel never dealt with the emotional pain of Egypt and they brought that into their wilderness journey. Exodus verse 1 it says that the Egyptians made the Israelites serve with cruel and harsh labor. They went through bitter, bitter days. Have you ever had a day where you thought, Lord, if, you're, if the whole rapture thing's happening, today would be a good day? Has anyone ever thought that? Just a couple. I'm in a predicament here, Lord, because I'm a Christian. I can't murder someone. I can't take my own life. The only way out is if you come. You've had one of those days that they've just been horrendous and, it, and your soul has been crushed, you're angry, you're frustrated. Maybe it's the day you've woken up and you're so depressed you can't get out of bed. These Egyptians had bitter days and bitter weeks and bitter years. In fact, in Exodus 12 verse 8, you remember when God takes Israel out of Egypt. What does he do in that last meal? There's the Passover where there's the lamb. And what else is with the lamb? There's the, the bitter herbs. And, and, and God's saying to them that I'm going to free you from Egypt. Not only do I want to be your deliverer, not only will I give you my life, which is what the lamb represents. And, the, and then there's the unleavened bread, but there's the bitter herbs. I want to deliver you from the bitterness that has been around your life for generations. Are you hearing this? You see, one of the big challenges for Israel wasn't just to be free from the people of Egypt, but to be free from the bitterness that had controlled their heart for so long. I felt God say to me, the enemy will cause our minds to return to past painful events, to stir our emotions afresh and bring them into the present. Did you hear that? The enemy will cause our minds to return to past painful events and stir our emotions afresh and bring them into the present. See, in the wilderness, I have this feeling that the enemy kept taking the Israelites back to the days of bitterness. Where is God? Whipped and beaten and made to work hard. And they're crying out, God, if you love us, where are you in this mess? We're supposed to be the chosen people. We're supposed to be the apple of your eye. Where are you in this mess? And their hearts grow hard and bitter. And so now they're in the wilderness around miracles and signs and wonders. And in the external, it all looks great. But in their hearts, the enemy keeps taking them back to the days of bitterness where God abandoned them. So, so it seemed. Wandering hearts. 
we can find ourselves today feeling just as we did years ago. I don't know about you, but sometimes you can notice that you're depressed and you can't find, figure out, why am I so depressed? Does anyone ever get depressed? Or maybe don't put your hands up. It, sometimes we feel flat and yuck and, and oh. We can't figure out why. And It's funny because what happens is our mind goes back to an event like a flash. And that event carries emotions, negative emotions. And so our mind then skips onto a new thing because that's what our mind does. It bounces around. But the problem is that when you revisit negative events that carry with them negative emotions, our minds continue on, but then our heart is left with this mess. Are you hearing me? And it can happen really quick. You can just have a very fleeting thought about an event that took place last year, 10 years ago, and then your mind just keeps going, but your heart has now got these emotions that it doesn't know what to do with. And you can't figure out why you're feeling depressed because your mind's moved on. Are you hearing this? The enemy knows it's easier to perpetuate a lie in our emotions than in our mind. Are you hearing this? The enemy can perpetuate greater lies through your emotions than through your mind that you can reason. And so you can intellectually have an argument with the enemy. And so what he does, he bypasses the mind and begins to work in our emotions. That's why he wants you to return to previous events that caused pain. And it's why the Israelites died in the wilderness full of unbelief because there were things in their emotions connected to events that they had never dealt with. Are you hearing this? Lying emotions. Say that with me. Lying emotions. Now, not all emotions are lying emotions, but there are some that are lying emotions. There's some emotions that are that are good because they're connected to a current event. So grieving then, laughter, they're all natural emotions. But listen to this, we must remember that if our emotions are not based on something specific that we can connect with a now event, then they're lying emotions. Did you hear that? Did you know that? If your emotions are not connected to a now event, then they are lying emotions. So maybe you lose something and there's emotions because you've lost it. But if that same emotion is there 10 years later, it's a lying emotion. It's, it's actually not true. It's not true anymore. Because it's not reflective of where you are now. Are you hearing me? They're called lying emotions. They're not reality. So these Israelites, their emotions was God neglected us, abandoned us. But the truth was God had never done that. God was with them all the, all the way. And as they went forward, they should have seen with hindsight that God was there all the time. But because they had never framed their emotions correctly as they came out of the wilderness, out of Egypt, those emotions now were lying emotions and they were sabotaging their future. Stay with me because it's all going to make sense, I hope. So, 
It's so important to define our thoughts and sense our emotions in painful times and come to a right conclusion before we move forward. I'll say that again. That's what I felt God say to me. It's so important to define your thoughts and sense your emotions in painful times and come to a right conclusion before you move on. So some people go through painful times and they don't sense their emotions and come to a right conclusion. There must be a right conclusion at the end of an event so you can move on. And this is what God did as he took the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness. I'm going to show you how he did that. Is this making sense to anybody? Much effort is made to get people's minds right about God, but little effort's made to get people's emotions right about God. And I believe an emotional concept of God is as important as an intellectual one. That our minds can run to God, but our emotions can be... See, some of you have brought your minds in today. You've sung, you've clapped, you've engaged, but your emotions are somewhere else. You can understand God loves you, but not feel like it. In fact, I, I read a survey of, I don't know how they did it, but it was for negative depressed Christians. So I don't know how they found those because they're so hard to find. So if you're happy, you couldn't do the survey. And, and the way they felt about God was astounding. And I thought, imagine inviting people to follow a God that when you serve him, when he comes into your life, he's going to make you feel like all these things. You'd never do it. But an emotional concept of God is so important. But, so when Israel came out of Egypt, the vast majority never dealt with their bitter hearts and they never forsook their idols. Listen to Hebrews 3 verse 10. It says, I was angry with that generation and I said they will always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. This is what I felt God say to me. If... We feel unloved by God in a moment and we do not define this moment both mentally according to the mind of God, Christ, and emotionally according to the love of the Father. Then our hearts will wander because of the pain and we will turn to idols as a way of coping. See, the problem with a heart that doesn't deal with emotions correctly when you wander in your heart from God, so something bad happens, you perceive it's bad, and there are all these emotions go, and you don't frame them correctly, what will happen like it happened to Israel is that their hearts wander from God and they attach themselves to idols. An idol is anything other than Jesus that I run to when I'm under pressure. Oh, I've, I've done this millions of times. Well, it's an exaggeration, but when things go wrong in my life, there, there are socially accepted idols, uns, not socially accepted idols. There are things that I do, and we say, well, that's okay. You're just relieving stress. But really deeply in my heart, I'm agitated with God and my circumstances. And instead of running to him for him to heal my emotions, I'm running to the TV and turning on the test cricket to try and numb the pain, 
forget about everything's going on. Um, deep down inside, I'm cross with God. Although I'm not saying that. And on we go. Oh, it's you. Does anyone ever do that? Or is it just me? So when I'm hurt, I must find a way to soothe my pain and the things that I run to, they are my idols. And we've all got them. I know you don't want to admit to them, but we've all got our secret idols and some of them are less, as I said, socially acceptable. But we do that because our hearts, because we haven't defined and allow God to heal our hearts in the midst of bitterness and confusion. We're running to these things because uh, deep down we're saying, God, I don't trust you anymore. I'm confused about your work in my life. So the questions to you and to me are, what do we do in the midst of our greatest defeats? To whom or what do I turn to when I'm under my most pressure? Where am I finding comfort? And so Israel took their idols with them on the journey to the promised land. It's, it's staggering, isn't it? That they're in a nation full of idols. God delivers them. And Ezekiel tells us in chapter 20, verse 6, that they took their idols with them through the Red Sea, shoved them in their pockets. I don't know how they got them through, but they took them through the Red Sea into the promised land. Israel, their idols went in. Why? Because their hearts hadn't been healed. And the problem with an idol is the spirit that it attaches itself that comes with it. We know in, in Egypt that it was a nation full of idols and the plagues that came, you can read on this, were actually judgments against all the idols in Egypt. That, and those idols had demonic presence attached to every idol. And so for Israel to be freed from Egypt... The demonic strongholds had to be brought down first. So the problem for us is when our hearts wander from God and attach to an idol, we don't realize that, that that which comes with the idol damages us. We open our hearts to the enemy. So, I hope I haven't depressed you. But there is an answer to this. There is an answer to this. So you've got to diagnose the problem before you get the answer. You've got to understand that every single one of you under pressure have an opportunity to get confused, angry with God. And in that moment, not define the thought patterns and the emotions to that event and, and just leave it and you move on and not realizing that your heart, your emotions haven't been dealt with and they will keep coming up and up and up. And what will happen, it will turn you away from God and you begin to attach yourself. I watch people in church do this. I watch them go, some, not only if they go through disappointments, and instead of defining that event correctly, they don't do that. They just keep going through, and then their hearts get hard towards God. They begin to attach themselves to idols. You see it. Whether it's money, family, holidays, they... All of a sudden, you see them check out. And the problem is, they've got a wandering heart. Their hearts are being damaged, and they haven't dealt with it. They haven't actually allowed God to heal their emotions. So intellectually, they'll say, I love Jesus, I'm going to heaven, and all those things are right. But their hearts have checked out. So, 
How do we prevent lying emotions causing, that cause our hearts to wander and then open our hearts up to idols? Because that's what happens. These, these, uh, we go through events. We don't interpret it correctly. Our hearts begin to wander. We don't trust God and we open our hearts to idols. How do we prevent that? Because I don't know about you. I want to go to the place of rest. I want to be in a place where where my heart is his alone. It's in a place of security and rest and confidence in him. I want that. I don't want a broken, lying heart. I want to be happy. There's a, there's a thing, isn't it? And so God said to me, Andrew, what was the first thing I told Moses to do when he crossed the Red Sea? thought about that with a gazillion bit of people carrying their idols do you know what they did they sang songs combine emotions and truth Exodus 15 verse 2 says the Lord is my strength and my song this is what they're singing you're hearing this so he combines strength and song. And he has become my salvation. He's my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. God knew for the, the way for the people of Israel to be healed of the bitter hearts was for them to sing songs about the goodness of God in the midst of their adversity. Worship alone has the ability to heal the emotions of a bitter heart. Worship, singing, combines emotions and truth. I don't know any other way to heal an emotional broken heart than true worship. See, in the midst of your pain, if you will begin to worship in that event... God will heal your heart so when you go back to that event in your mind, the bitterness won't be there anymore. The song of Moses and Miriam was a gift from God to redefine the pain of Israel so they could move forward into the promised land. Did you hear that? I'll say it again. The song of Moses and Miriam was a gift from God to redefine the pain of Israel so they could move forward into the promised land. Don't, don't, don't miss this moment. God does nothing by accident. They come through the Red Sea. The first thing that Moses does is begin to sing about the goodness of God. He could have, he could have had a barbecue. He could have done anything. They could have gone swimming, fishing, but they began to sing. One of the reasons we sing when we first come to church is because many of us have come in with broken, bruised emotions. Things have gone wrong. And it's an opportunity for our emotions to get right, to define the events of the week, so then we can hear the word of the Lord and his goodness towards us and his direction. No point hearing a word from God Unless our hearts are right. He said their hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. You will never know the ways of God 
if your hearts go astray. That's why we have worship before the word. So we, our hearts are right so we know the ways of God. Are you hearing me? I'm keeping an eye on the time. Some, I'll give you some examples of this. There are gazillions again. Read through Psalms. There are so many examples of God taking people through. They're in painful circumstances and they begin to worship in the midst of that pain. Psalm 118 verse 10 says, All the nations surround me. Ever felt like that? But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side. But in the name of God, I cut them down. He's in a war. They swarmed around like bees. They were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. There's this battle going on. And he says, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he's become my salvation. Over and over you see in Psalms, in the midst of painful circumstances, the psalmist rises up and begins to sing the song of the Lord. Psalm 22, many of you know this psalm. It's the prophetic psalm of the crucifixion. Starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a picture of Jesus on the cross where he's dying on the cross. And, and, and you need to understand what he's taking on is all the confusion and abandonment that sin brings to mankind. When we go through dark times, we feel like God has abandoned us. And that's why he cries out for the first time. He calls him my God rather than my father. Because sin, the deception of Satan makes us think that when we're in the midst of a hole, that God has turned his back on us. And he's crying out, God, where are you? All these emotions are coming up that are foreign to Jesus because he's taking on all of your pain, all of your confusion. It's on him right now. And verse 21 says, but you answered me. Isn't that amazing? In the midst of our darkest day, God's going to answer us. God's going to give us insight into what's going on. And then Jesus begins to say, you know what? I will, verse 22 of Psalm 22, I will declare your name to my brethren. That's you today. Jesus is saying, you know what? In the midst of your darkest time, I'm going to begin to show you how good God is. I'm going to declare God your name to my brethren. I'm going to declare the faithfulness. And Jesus is our forerunner. See, the whole book of Hebrews that we started with is the picture of Jesus as the faithful son who understands that the Father is eternally faithful, but he's also the faithful high priest, Jesus. And he's there. He's, he's led the way. He's actually opened up a way for us to follow. So he went through the darkest moments and he came out worshipping. And he came out as the joyful son. And now he beckons all the sons and daughters to follow him. And he's a faithful high priest. And he says, you know what? In your darkest moment, it's not just you singing. I'm going to sing over you as well. I'm going to sing on your behalf before the Father. I will sing over you. Are you hearing this? So Psalm 22 says, You who fear the Lord, verse 23, praise him. All the descendants of Jacob glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For God has not despised and he has not Abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He hasn't hidden his face. So all those people that say God turned his back on Jesus at the cross, it's a load of nonsense. He never, ever did. Psalm says, Jesus cried that out because he was crying out the pain of man who perceives that God has turned his back. And the reality is, 
in the midst of your darkest moment, God will never, ever turn his back on you. He will never leave you or forsake you. It's not in his nature. Are you hearing me? Verse 25, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before you. The poor, listen, verse 26, this word poor means depressed. It's a good translation. That's what it means in the Hebrew. The depressed will eat and be satisfied. They will get a revelation in their darkest moment. The greatest thing they can do is to worship. Why? Because they don't want the pain of that event to keep going on and on in their life. Let me tell you something. In the midst of your worst nightmare, if you don't define your emotional well-being at the end of that and through it and at the end, it will keep resurfacing over and over and over and over and over again. Some of you actually need to go back into some of the events of your life and begin to worship. You know, you can do that retrospectively. Some of the events in my life I didn't handle very well. I was cross, angry, and just said, well, God, let's just have a standoff. Let's just move on. I'm not happy with the way you dealt with that. I think you made a mess of it. But you know what? I'm stuck with you. You're stuck with me. Let's move on. The problem is that those emotions keep coming back. They keep making me feel depressed today. So I've actually had to go back into some of those events and reframe, see, not just the thoughts, but the emotions attached to that event and worship over things that happened one year ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, until I get a breakthrough in the emotions over that event. Are you hearing me? Once you've done that, the enemy's got no stronghold over you. They're depressed. They get a revelation and they'll be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Then it says in verse 26, let your heart live. That word live means to revive, recover, repair. So I want to say that over you today. Let your heart live. I say your heart lives. It will recover. It will revive. It will repair. It will be healthy. It will be strong. Amen. Amen? Say it over your heart today. Let my heart live. After Moses and Miriam sung the song of the Lord, isn't it interesting that the next place they go to, is a pool of water and the waters are bitter. It's one thing for your leader to sing over you. It's another thing for you to sing. One thing for Moses to sing the song, but every Israelite needed to sing that same song. And they go to these waters and they complain against God and it's bitter. And God opens Moses' eyes and he sees this supernatural tree that when it's picked up and thrown in the water, the waters are made sweet. It's a picture of Jesus. That when you place Jesus into your bitterness, you'll turn every bitter experience, you make it sweet. And so we see right through the wilderness, God's trying to encourage Israel to deal with their bitter hearts. Now, we know that most of the Israelites died in the wilderness because they refused to allow God to heal the bitterness of their heart. And in fact, it was once all the men and women had died and the children came up, then they went into the promised land. Why? Because the children didn't have the memories of the bitterness 
of Egypt. So God's saying to us, if you want wholeness, if you want, if you want to be all that I've called you to be, you've got to deal with a bitter heart. I'm going to finish today in Hebrews 2, verse 10. Maybe you would turn there with me today. I love this passage because it's Jesus leading the way for us in song. Hebrews 2.10 says, It was fitting for Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many... Sorry, fitting for God, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain, the leader, the author of their salvation, this is Jesus, perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies, that word sanctifies means to make us holy or complete, and those who are being made complete are all one. Everything you're going through, everything you've experienced, Jesus has got a handle on. He understands your pain. This is the amazing thing about the God that we serve. He's not some mystical thing in the air, but Jesus is real came to earth, we can touch and feel him. He experienced everything that you've gone through. So we're all a one. He's identified with your pain, the loss, the grief. For that reason, he is not ashamed to call them family, saying, I will declare your name, Father, to my family. And in the midst of the assembly, I will sing to praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in Father. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. What does all that mean? It essentially means that Jesus has gone before us. And in the midst of the greatest pain he's ever experienced on the cross, he found a way through. And he's called us to be part of his family. And he says, you know what? I'm going to sing over you in the midst of your pain to my Father. I'm going to lead you through. I'm going to bring you the victory. I'm going to sing with you. And that excites me because, you know, there are days when I'm on my bed and I know I should be praying in tongues and worshipping and I can't get a word out of my mouth. It's like, it's like granite. Does anyone, I don't. But Jesus said here, I'm going to sing with you. I'm going to sing about the faithfulness of my father. Because I was in a slightly trickier position than you've ever been in on the cross and I came through. And I discovered that as a man and as God that my father never forsook me. I didn't understand it when I went through but as I worshipped I began to see the goodness of God.